This is the voice of God speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Thus far, the word of God. Let us turn to him, calling upon his name, to open our eyes and instruct us. Almighty God, we are creatures. We are image bearers of you, O God. We are redeemed image bearers. We are your children, sons and daughters of the Most High and Living God. And Father, you have appointed, even as we've heard, through the, what the world deems foolish, to show forth your power. And Lord, as we are gathered here, yielded to you, submissive to you, to undertake that which you've appointed, have the preaching of the word and the hearing of the word, Lord, would you bless that which you've appointed, that the same spirit who inspired these holy words of old would bring them forth upon us using your vessel, our pastor, that you would fill him and equip him, and that you would open our ears, that your spirit would be at work in us, that what we hear would find a place in our hearts that even as Jesus speaks of good soil, Lord, that we would be good soil and that your fruit, your, your word would bear a harvest, 30, 60, and 100 fold. We pray all these things for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last week we saw Moses leading sheep. Uh, he had led those sheep to the, the backside of the wilderness and he came to Horeb. It's called the mountain of God, but don't believe when Moses arrived there, he understood it that. He's recorded these events later, and having this encounter, having had this encounter, when he talks about it, he speaks of the mountain of God. For it was there that he had a divine encounter. God came down, and he met with Moses, having appeared in a bush burning with fire. A bush that, though it burned, was not consumed. We'll see some connection with that to God's name in a little bit. So God told Moses who he was. He says he was the God of his father and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses, when he heard this, he hid his face and he listened as God told Moses that he had seen the condition of his people, that he had come down, having heard their cries, knowing their sorrow, God had come down to deliver them. And no doubt this is good news when Moses hears that God has come down. God has remembered his people. He's remembered his covenant. And he's going to take action. God coming to deliver out of the hand of the Egyptians or the Egyptians and bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey. Fantastic news. This was very, very good news indeed. But then what came next, no doubt, was a surprise to Moses because God was commissioning him to be his instrument to bring this about, this great event. It is indeed one of the wonders of our God that in performing his great works, he uses men and women to accomplish them. We are his instruments to perform his great and mighty deeds. God was going to use Moses to accomplish the salvation of Israel. Yes, God was going to use a man on the run, a man who was hiding in the wilderness, that he was his chosen instrument. For this great exodus. That probably seems incredulous to us. And it certainly would have seemed incredulous to Moses. Let's keep this truth in view then. As we watch this scene unfold. And as we listen and we hear this conversation that took place. Because brothers and sisters God is still using men and women. We are of the same nature as Moses. 
God is still using men and women, even like you and I, to accomplish his works in the world today. He uses us to spread this glorious message of salvation to the world around us that is perishing. That God, through the demonstration of the Spirit's power, would even now rescue men and women from the bondage of sin and bring them into the liberty and the light and the life and the joy of being his own. We use five main headings. I've changed these from what's in your worship guide. We had Presbytery this week, and I was front-loading things, and I prepared an outline earlier. Then as I continued to finalize the sermon, I modified them. So what you will find, I'm going to follow a great commission and then a question. It's Moses' question, who am I? And then a great promise, a promise from God. And then Moses asked another question of God, who are you? And then finally, we'll close with considering the greatest name. So we begin with a great commission. We overlap with the last week as we look at verse 10. God says to Moses, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. We could say Moses is an apostle because that Greek word means a sent one. God is calling him out, setting him aside, and he's going to send him. I will send you to Pharaoh. And notice how direct God is that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I certainly would call for some questions on Moses' part, and indeed he has questions. We're, we're going to deal with uh, more of the dialogue in, in uh, next week's sermon. But here God finds Moses, and he commissions him to go to Pharaoh. No doubt this would have been a challenge to Moses' faith. We're not really told how much Moses understands. It's unclear how well-informed his faith was. How much did he know? about this God. We've, we've conjectured, and I believe rightly, that he would learn from his mother and father while he was yet in the household before he went to Pharaoh's household. But how much did he know? And indeed, how well formed was his faith? That is to say, how mature is it? How strong is his faith? I think right to conclude, it was, it was fairly weak faith, even as a new believer might be. We're not told that Moses was converted. We're not told like Abraham that he believed God and was accounted into him his righteousness. But what we'll see in this chapter is that as God tells him things, Moses does believe God, and we will understand that Moses is justified by his faith. So what's God telling Moses to do? He says, you're to return to Egypt. Yep, that very place where you that one day tried to rescue one of your fellow Hebrews out of the hand of an Egyptian, and it didn't turn out well. God's telling Moses, you need to go back to Egypt from where you fled 40 years ago. You might imagine by this time that uh, Moses has concluded he's done with Egypt, that he's not going back. They'll never see that place again, and yet God commands Moses. God commands Moses that he should go as God's prophet. Look at verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people out of Egypt. Moses is to be God's prophet. He was going to go to speak God's word. He's going to confront Moses, and God will put his word into his mouth. He will be a prophet of God. And indeed, Moses is one of the greatest prophets of all. I think sometimes we think of Moses, you know, the one who led the Exodus. But indeed, all along through that process, we see Moses, God's prophet, Moses as God's priest, Moses meeting with God and coming to his people, meeting with his people and going to God, and Moses as a king, the one who leads them even to war. So God sends Moses as a prophet. He's commissioned to be a leader. I'm using the word leader, but we can think of it as the office of Christ of a king. Moses is one of the very few in Scripture who has reflected in him as a type of Christ, both the office of prophet, priest, and king. Most types are but one. Moses was not supposed to be just involved. God was appointing him to lead he was calling him out to lead. He said he is to go to Pharaoh and a defiance against Pharaoh, this mighty king of Egypt, the most powerful man on earth at that time, to confront him and demand that he let his people go and then to bring them out. You could say God's sending Moses on Mission Impossible. He says, you're to do this. 
that you may go and bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You can be sure that Moses would have had troubles. And Moses is right. Left to Moses alone, Moses' abilities, him intellect, his wisdom, his power, his strength and might, this was an impossible mission. We should notice that God is using an ordinary man. We, we look back in the course of time, and we look at Moses, and, and in a sense, you know, we find him to be extraordinary. Uh, but really, he was an ordinary man used by God in extraordinary ways, and that we should glorify God that he could use such a weak vessel. And we should be encouraged that God is able to even use us. After all, what are we? We're jars of clay. We're weak vessels. And so was Moses. When Pharaoh had commanded that all the Hebrew babies be thrown into the river, Moses' mother, an ordinary mom, came up with a plan, a simple solution for casting her son into the river. She put him in an ark first. God then used Pharaoh's daughter to rescue and adopt Moses, another really ordinary woman. And and Moses' older sister played a critical part in that story. She stood by and was able to retrieve Moses' own mother to be his nurse, another ordinary individual, all part of God's plans. So brothers and sisters, don't ever think, you know, I'm just just an ordinary person. What can God use me for? He can use you for great and mighty things. Be available. Be dependent. Walk by faith and do what God calls you to do. We saw how Moses, when he tried in his own strength to attempt to deliver Israel, he failed and fled. But God brought Moses to Rule's household, and he gave him a wife. And over the next 40 years, God was preparing Moses to lead his people in the wilderness by Moses tending sheep in the wilderness. Well, what's happened, verse 10, that part of Moses' preparation is over. Time's up. You have a responsibility. I have a mission for you. It's time to move on. God has a new mission for Moses. He's going to deliver Israel out of the bondage. And Moses was his choice instrument for that purpose. Before we go on, let's just consider by application. God's commission into Moses teaches us that anyone that God has saved can then be used to accomplish God's purposes. We're going to make more specific use of that a little later on. Our salvation, then, is followed by our vocation. Children, that word vocation means calling. You think about what your mom and dad do. They have a vocation. They have a calling. Your your dad may go work behind a desk. Your dad may be uh, flying off on an airplane. Your dad may work with... um, construction materials. He may work uh, with computers um, and electronics. These are your father's calling in one sense, his vocation. But there's another calling that as ones who are redeemed, we have a calling from God to be witnesses. And you remember in Acts when the persecution broke out after uh, James' execution by Herod, that the church was dispersed and they went forth, literally the word is there, gospelizing. They just went bearing witness of the great things that God had done for them. And that's what we're called to do in our day. So we need to understand that we are not saved just to sit around on the bleachers and see what God's going to do next. We should say, as Samuel, hear my Lord be used to him. Secondly, we want to consider the question of Moses. uh, Verse 12, who am I? Moses has heard this. Verse 11, uh, but Moses said to God, I'm sorry, it's verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses asked a critical question. Who am I? Later we're going to see him ask a second important question. Who are you? The remainder of chapter 3 will really focus on these two questions. As, uh, for Moses, there's a, 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 a tension, a, a sense of uh, immaturity, and even some unbelief in God bringing him along, and we'll see that dialogue. But these two questions, who am I and who is God, these are the critical questions. Calvin, in the opening of his Institutes of the Christian Religion, says, nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, a knowledge of ourselves 
and a knowledge of God. And so in our day, you see a generation, maybe two generations, they've grown up. They don't know who they are. They're flailing around. They're trying to make sense of life. What is my purpose? Because they don't know who God is. We come to understand who we are when we understand who God is and that we are made in his image and that he is the creator and we are his creatures and that we have responsibilities to our creator on his earth. Who am I and who is God? Calvin goes on to drive home this point that a person will never obtain a clear understanding of himself unless he first looks upon the face of God and in that light examines himself. Of course, we only see the face of God in the face, in the person, in the works of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as in the opening of our prayer from Colossians, that in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's no wonder that our nation has lost all sense of self and purpose. God has been rejected. God is being cast out, at least men think so, of every corner of society. So few know anything about their creator. Therefore, people are unable to know who they are and why they were created. Young people and old people alive are adrift in a sea of confusion and despair. Is that not what we see in our day? And we have this prophetic message of God, this book, this holy inspired book that explains who God is and who we are. Even from the opening chapters, we're made in his image. Male and female has God created us. And he has given us a purpose, chapter 2, to go forth and exercise dominion over the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and to subdue it, guard and keep it. God has answered these questions. So Moses asked God, who am I that I should go? Moses' question is focused really on his ability to complete this task that God has just commissioned him to do. Moses knew Egypt. Forty years in the wilderness did not wipe out Moses' understanding. He hasn't lost all that great learning that he gained in the the high court of Pharaoh. He knows Egypt's powerful, super powerful. And, And what has he done for the last 40 years? It's a keeper of sheep. We remember that God will later call another shepherd, a young boy to lead his people and deliver them out from the oppression of the Philistines. And, of course, I'm referring to David. And what did he say? When God called David, you know what he said? Who am I? Who am I when God said that he would establish the throne of David forever? He sent him. Moses has already made an attempt to rescue just one Israelite. Look what that got him. The man on the run. Not only did Pharaoh... Not only was Pharaoh after him, but we saw in the next encounter that the, the Hebrews was like, who appointed you judge over us? You know, they didn't want anything of Moses' leadership. They'd have rejected him. Little wonder that Moses would say, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Again, before we go on, some application. Can you identify with Moses' question? Who am I? Right? An honest self-reflection, and when we think of you know, what God's entrusted to us as his people, you know, corporately as the church, the great commission to give it to us, but carried out by us in our various spheres of life as we go about our daily callings. Who am I to share this great gospel? I'm not sufficient for the task. Perhaps our response might be similar if we found ourselves standing barefoot in the presence of God, a burning bush. Do you think of yourself as unable to do what God commands? You should. A holy life? You're not capable. But remember what Paul writes in Romans 8:13. If you live according to the flesh, there we are, our strength, our effort. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Doesn't sound like a good outcome, does it? It's not. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. See, God hasn't left us alone. He has provided the Spirit, even as he will and does to Moses. It's true that we forget what Paul writes in another place. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or Christ, as we saw in John 15, 5, uh, 15, if you abide in me, as my branches abide in me, you will ask what you will, and it will be given to you. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit, for in this my Father is glorified. And Paul writes in another place, it is God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Since we are forgetful, it is important that we look at how God answers Moses. The third thing we see is the great promise. God answers Moses according to his own nature. God is gracious. You know, God doesn't become angry with Moses. He, he knows Moses' frame. He, he's but a dust of the earth. He's a, he's a sinful creature. Um, he knows the degree or the, the maturity of Moses' faith at this point. And God is gracious with Moses. He's forbearing. God is commissioned for a great mission. And, and then Moses asks a question. Who am I? Are you sure about this, God? Are you sure you're not looking for somebody else somewhere else? There's, there's already this argument that's going to take place. We're going to see it become more robust. But God is gracious. Notice what God doesn't do. He doesn't remind Moses of his great education. He doesn't remind of all that wonderful knowledge he received in the, in the halls of Pharaoh. Although Moses had those things. And God didn't point to, out to Moses what he'd learned while leading sheep around the wilderness for 40 years. Although Moses had learned much about the wilderness and about stupid sheep. They are stupid. They really are. He's learned that too, but God doesn't point that out. As Phil Graham Riken points out in his commentary, there's no one man in the whole world more qualified for this task than Moses. Quote, Riken says, Moses was Egyptian enough to confront the Egyptians. And I love this next part. He was Hebrew enough to love the Hebrews. Moses was Egyptian enough to confront the Egyptians and Hebrew enough to love the Hebrews, close quote. But that's not where God focuses a response. God didn't say, Moses, look inward. Look at what, what you've received. Look, look at all that you've got. No, God does not want him to focus on himself. Rather, God would have Moses be single-minded in his focus upon God. Is, is that not something we must do? You know when you get in trouble, brothers and sisters, when you stumble and fall and you give way before sin, you're looking inward, you're looking at self, you, you take your eyes off from Christ, you've forgotten the cross, you, you forgot the victory of Christ, that he's defeated Satan, that he's set us free, and that he has no authority over us, we belong to Christ. We look at ourselves, down we go in one big ugly mess, right? But God says, look at me. God answers Moses not by explaining who Moses was, but by a great promise. Look at verse 12. So he said, this is God speaking, I will certainly be with you. Amen. Amen. I will certainly be with you. Remember what was lost in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned? They were driven out. They were driven away from the presence of God because of their sin. And remember the, what's the great story that as we've considered Genesis and Exodus and we, even in John and all these things, God bringing us back. This Exodus that's unfolding here is an Exodus out of Egypt into the promised land, but it's a picture of the Exodus that God is bringing about to bring sinners out of the world back into relationship with him and ultimately to be back in some place far greater than the Garden of Eden. No longer apart from God. And so God promises Moses, I will certainly be with you. It's emphatic. God wasn't sending Moses to accomplish something that God was depending upon Moses. God was depending for the whole project on himself and his efficiency. Remember that as we get to the next point. Moses was correct. He could not bring about an exodus. God was the one who would have to save his people out of the house of bondage. Moses was only the instrument in God's hand. Indeed, remember, what is impossible with man is possible with God. There's a lesson here for Christians in every age. God never sends us on a mission alone. He always goes with us. He goes before us. 
He's prepared the way. He walks with us in it, and he comes behind us. Uh, to quote you know, something from our day, God's got our six. So the fighter pilots, you know, they're talking about six o'clock. You know, God's back there as well as with us in front of God is above all, in all, and through all. We are never alone. God is with his people. This is the same promise that God made to Joshua as he was beginning his ministry. After Moses is gone, Joshua is now to lead the people. God appears to, to Moses and he promises him, Joshua 1.5, I will be with you. This is also what God promised um, Gideon as he's commissioned in Judges 6. You know, Gideon again is like, who am I? What does God promise? I will be with you, Genesis, Judges 6.16. Likewise, when God called Jeremiah, I don't know how much you know about the prophet Jeremiah, but when God calls him, he says, I'm going to send you, I'm going to put my word in your mouth, and you're to go to my people. Oh, and by the way, they're not going to listen. But God promised Jeremiah, I will be with you. This is the very same promise that Jesus gave to his disciples right after commissioning them with a great commission. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples baptize them, teaching them whatsoever things I commanded you. And what? And lo, or behold, again, it's emphasis, I am with you always. Not when it's tough. Not when you call out. I'm with you always. And how long? Even to the end of the age. Every day, all the time, all along the ways. Well, then God even promised Moses a sign. Look at the rest of verse 12. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people of Egypt, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, think about that promise. The sign that God is with him will show up when Moses has completed the task, at least as far as bringing the people out. It's when he's back at this mountain, when he's back at Oreb, God says that I'll meet with you. Moses is going to have to walk by faith. You realize just what all lies ahead for Moses? God's promised him to be with him. God, Moses needs to take God at his word. And when the task is done in their Mount Horeb, this will be a sign. God says that, that I send you, that I will meet with you. And you shall serve me, that is, worship me at this mountain. That's the significant thing. Remember Moses says to the people, to Pharaoh, let my people go, because they need to serve me. That's God's message. They need to go and worship me. And God is saying, you're going to do that. That's my sign to you. And so he's going to have to walk by sight for a long time. But you know what? The people of God had to walk by, I'm sorry, have to walk by faith for a long time. The people of God had to walk by faith for a longer period of time. Remember Isaiah 7? We, we went through Isaiah. Uh, we were in Isaiah 7 a couple of years ago. I'm pretty sure that's true. You remember King Ahaz, the prophet speaks to him, says, ask for a sign. And he says, no, I wouldn't dare to do that. And God says, nevertheless, I'll give you a sign. Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. That's a sign that God promised. You know how long before that was fulfilled? About 700 years. The church, the people of God old, had to wait until they came. My friends, we've received a promise. What is that promise? Jesus is coming again. He's going to come, as we saw in John 13. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions, and where I go, I will come again to take you to be with myself, that where I am, you may be with me forever. That promise was made 2,000 years ago. And for 2,000 years, the people of God have walked by faith. And what will we do there? What God promised Moses here? You will serve me. We will worship God in his presence in the land of glory. So Moses had to wait. And so we wait. And we walk by faith. By the grace of God, we walk faithfully. We walk by faith that we should learn to live our lives in humble reliance upon God, not upon ourselves, but indeed the spirit that God has placed within us. This is why he's given us the spirit. And unlike in the Old Testament, the spirit was given. No one was converted apart from the spirit. But after Pentecost, God has poured out the spirit in great measure. 
And we enjoy the blessing of being after the cross with a full measure of the Spirit and the fullness of God's revelation in the Bible at our disposal. Moses is in a time when there's no written word of God. But God says, take me at my word. And he would have that oral history passed down of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of God's faithfulness. And and that on this promise of God's faithfulness, he had to trust God that he would be faithful. So with this great promise, I will be with you, it follows that Moses would have another question. Who are you? And that's our fourth point. Who are you? God promised to go with him on this mission. Okay, that's good. But, But who are you? Moses does not have the understanding at this point that he will have 40 years from now. Moses has much to grow in, but God promised I will be with you. Look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? You see the significance of a name. A name revealed much about who a person was. Uh, the significance of who they were, even as we notice, what is Moses' name? You know, drawn out of the water, according to the Hebrew meaning. In Egyptian, the equivalent was of the name was one who draws out. Both are fulfilled. Both are true of Moses. And so Moses says, the people are going to ask me, what's the name of this one who has sent you? Now, at this point, translators and commentators differ. Some say that Moses asks a question. They suggest that Moses is conditional, that if I go, if I choose to accept this assignment, what am I supposed to say? But really, in the original language, there's there's an intensification that is captured here. I will certainly be with you. I'm sorry. Um, When I come to the children of Israel... Indeed, I'm sorry, there it is, verse 13. When Then Moses said to God, indeed. You know, this, this is going to be a reality. Indeed, when I come to them, they're going to say, who sent you? This is a reality that's going to happen. I think that's the best translation. It's a legitimate question. Moses really believes that this question is going to be asked of him. And he's right. Remember, Israel has been living in a pagan nation, surrounded by every form of idolatry and false worship, It's infected them. It's part of the bondage that they're experiencing. You'll see that as you get out in the Exodus and out in the winter. They still got idols with them. Even all the way to the days of Joshua, he has to tell them, put away your pagan gods. They're still carrying these things around. So this is the Israel that he's going to. They're affected by false worship. They're not only in Egypt, but Egypt is in them. Israel's not had a prophet for hundreds of years. And no doubt there are those who are saying, the God of Abraham has forsaken us. Where's the fulfillment of his promises? Has he even remembered us? Or is he even real? They're going to ask, what's his name? little wonder that Moses wants to know, who are you? Now, God is sending Moses to bring his people out of Egypt. And Moses would scarcely believe his ears and eyes and he is to go, to, he could scarcely believe his ears and eyes, and yet he's to go to the people. They've not seen this bush that burns and is never consumed. They've not seen this marvelous sight. He has. But he's going to go with a word. He's going to speak with his voice. He's going to be the mouthpiece of God, and he wants to be able to answer the question, who are you? Mo- Moses, as Riken puts it, wants the full weight of divine authority behind him. And so he asks, who are you? And God reveals himself by his name. Now, this is not the first time the divine name is used. Verse 14, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Yahweh, or as the King James translates it, Jehovah. Or as we often see, New King James, when that occurs, you see all capital, L-O-R-D. That's this name, Yahweh, the Hebrew representation. And we don't even know that it's pronounced that way because the original Hebrew Bible just has consonants, not vowels. The vowel pointing system was supplied sometime later, as best we know. But that's a close approximation to it. God is revealing himself. Now, this name was used before when Noah, before his death, prophesies over his sons. He uses this name, Yahweh. 
as he prophesies. Isaac, when he worships God, he uses this name, Yahweh. Even Laban, as he's coming to Jacob, and he's had a vision, and he tells Jacob about it, he said, Yahweh spoke to me. So this name is known to the people of God. We're not told when it was first made known. Moses does not seem to know this name. It's it's something that's been forgotten. Makes me think of that line of Gandalf. You know, there are some things that are forgotten that should not have been forgotten. It's certainly God's name is one of those. So God answers him. Verse 14, the God says to Moses, I am who I am. He goes on, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, this is what Moses asked, you shall say, I am has sent me to you. That's the answer he's to give. And then God makes it more explicit. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and this is my memorial now some of you remember that when we've encountered this name i've explained to you the best way to understand what does it mean the lord god yahweh god this is god revealing he is the covenant faithful god and that's what's being demonstrated here. God is being faithful to his covenant. He's come, as he promised Abraham, 400 years. He's come to deliver them and bring them out from the bondage they've been in. By this, God reveals his name and his essence. There's much revealed about God by this name, and yet there is still so much mystery. Little wonder that Moses ponders it at this moment. And I believe that Moses pondered this revelation I am who I am the rest of his life. In fact, scholars have been studying that declaration for 3,000 years. There's still, uh, we still don't comprehend it. There's still mystery and majesty to this that God has spoken. I am that I am. I am who I am. What a marvelous revelation. And yet, there's a maintaining of the majesty of God that we, as his people, should be kept in awe. Who is this God? Yahweh, I am that I am. Remember when the angel of the Lord, that would be the same one speaking to Moses from the bush, appeared to Samson's father, and he tells him they're going to have a son. They're an old couple. They're going to have a son. And he asks him, you know, what is your name? Because he wants to name the child. And how is it that the angel of the Lord, how is it the same God, the second person of the Trinity, the same person answers him? He said, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. You see, God says, my name is mysterious. There's mystery in my name. And then that's exactly what we have found as a church. The name is a verb. Yahweh is our English pronouncement, as best we know, from four consonants. The truth is we don't know how it's pronounced. But what we should understand is this, just a couple of things. And indeed, we, I could preach to you dozens of sermons on the name of God. There's so much that we know, and there's so much we don't know. But the first thing I want you to understand, God's name is mysterious because he is mysterious. He is completely unlike us. Though we're made in his image, he is not made in our image. He's completely other. This is what Isaiah found out when, when he has a vision and he sees the Lord arrayed in his splendor and, and he hears, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's mystery about our God. This self-revelation is so hard for our little minds to comprehend. And we learn that God's name is inscrutable. That is, children, we are forced to understand there's so much about God we can't understand. There's much he's made known. And we should study to know everything he's made known. But there's things about God, there's aspects of his being and his nature that we cannot know. Can we, can we describe how it is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons and one God forever the same in substance, power, and equal in glory? We know that's true from the scripture, but can we wrap our head around it? Can we comprehend that? No, God is not only mysterious, he's inscrutable. But by Moses telling God, I am... 
He's declaring his self-existence. I am that I am. A verb, I am. He doesn't say, I was. He doesn't say, I will be. He says, I am. And by this, we are to understand that God is the cause of all that is. He is the original. He is the source. Everything takes place from him and by him. That's what, part of what it makes him. He's God. Everything comes from him, even as we see in the opening of Genesis. In the beginning, God. And then God begins to act. And from nothing, by the voice of his word, he makes all worlds and all things. He's self-existent. James Dozell, Baptist theologian, who's done tremendous work on the being of God. Find one of his books and read it. But one of the things he said, talking about the simplicity of God, that God does not have parts. We can't, God, can't take God apart and say, well, God's this and this and this. God is one whole. He's not simplistic, but he's simple in that he has no parts. And he makes a statement that God, in his, as God, he is not dependent on anything that is not God. He's not dependent on anything outside of himself. We are completely dependent upon God. God is not like us. He is. And, and it's even, it's really wrong to say, you know, he, he was and he is and he will be. Because God is not constrained by time. God is before time was. God is. Can you wrap your head around that? Me neither. He's mysterious. He's inscrutable. That we should be in wonder of who he is. But also by God telling Moses, I am, we get this idea of eternality. That's what I was just describing. And because he's eternal who he is, always unchanging, we can depend upon him. So when he promises Moses, I will be with you, he says, I am. He doesn't say, Moses, I'll be with you, and, and, and we'll get this done just so long as this doesn't take place or this one doesn't interfere. No. God is not dependent on anybody. Nothing takes place apart from God and his holy will. He could promise Moses because he is the one who will bring it to pass, independent of any and all. He's not even dependent upon Moses' ability. He is, and he does. I am who I am. And this is why this eternality of God, this is why he can say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't say, I was Abraham's God. Remember when Jesus engages with the Sadducees and they don't believe there's a resurrection? He says, you're wrong because God has declared himself to be the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And by good and necessary consequence, you know, Jesus is teaching them that there's life after death. These men are yet living. They are alive. They're in the presence of God. There is a resurrection. I am who I am. And then Moses, we hear God go on to say in the latter part of verse 15, this is my name forever. God reveals himself through his name. Well, there's so much more we could say, but we must move on. And hopefully... As we move through Exodus, we're going to learn more about who God is. As the story unfolds and we see God acting in the moment for his people, we will see more about who God is and indeed what Moses will reflect on. He'll remember this moment as certain, certain events take place and he'll go, Ah, oh, even as we do, as we walk in faith dependent upon the Lord, we come to understand more about our God. And he's a gracious God. He's a good God. He's a merciful God. He's an all-powerful God. I'm going to wrap up on this with a quote from Matthew Henry. He says, the greatest and best man in the world, get that? The greatest and best man in the world must say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But God says, absolutely. And it is never more true it is never true of any creature or angel. None of them can say, I am that I am. In our Westminster Confession, paragraph or two of chapter two, 
we find this, God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness, and in himself he is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in the need of any creatures which he has made, not deriving any glory from them, remember, our call to worship, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He alone is the fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to him are all things. And it goes on further. Perhaps now we can see the meaning of the burning bush. What was the bush doing, children? Remember? There's this brushy wilderness bush, and it's, it's burning. And Moses' expectation, no doubt he had gathered that and kindled a fire and you know cooked his bread with it as he was in the wilderness. And, and here's this bush of this dry desert material and it just keeps burning and burning and burning it's not burned up and in some sense it's pointing to the eternality of the god who speaks to moses there is no other god like unto our god god glorious the spirit eternal infinite and unchangeable in his being wisdom power holiness justice goodness and truth the lord is able to do what he promised moses moses Need not fear obeying God. Take the commission. Go, I'm going with you, and I am that I am. Never did anyone go on a mission so great with so great a God to that point as Moses did. Children, child of God, this is true for you. This same God walks with you every day. And we come then to, in closing, and much more briefly, the, the great, the greatest name. Knowing the name of God, as much as Moses understood in that moment, was of great help. What does Moses do? He's heard enough. He's going. He's obeying. He has faith. Indeed, he understands something about the burning bush. He understands something about the one who commissioned him. But there's so much he does not understand. As we said, we'll, we'll see more as we go along. God will prove himself. To Moses over and over as he carries out the mission. I guarantee you, Moses had no idea the ten great plagues that he's going to see God perform. He has no concept that those are even coming. He would be filled with wonderment even as he obeys God and is the instrument for bringing them down upon Egypt. God, the God of Moses, is our God. People of God, think about it. The God of Moses is our God. He's still mysterious, and he's mighty. But we know him by a new name. We know him by the name of Jesus. As, as mighty as this name is, and indeed this one who speaks to him is the second person of the Trinity, representing the whole of the Godhead and the truth of the whole Godhead. He's manifesting God to man. We know him by a new name, that he indeed is Yahweh. He is the one come from the Father. And he has a name given to him by the Father that is above every name. We ever think about that? Yahweh is a glorious name. I am that I am. I mean, we can't wrap our heads around it, but has God not been merciful? He's given us a name, Jesus, Savior. Our Savior. Do you see not something of the condescension? What, what do we know about God that, that we can comprehend? We look at Christ. We look at what he's done. We look how he's stooped and come from glory. He's taken on our humanity. He even now dwells in it at the right hand of the Father. He suffered and went to the cross for our sake. He took our sins on himself. And he died. In his humanity, he died. He gave up his spirit. Spirit and body were separated. He died for us in his humanity. What do you need to know about God? Look at Jesus. He's the revelation of the Father. And what is it Paul writes in Philippians 2? Though he is found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of the death, of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess both in heaven and on earth, and those under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord.
the, the glory of God the Father. I'm going to close with an application. We too have been called by Christ. We as a church, we have been given a commission to go. To go declaring the, the good news. Go make disciples. Many of you are doing that in your home with your children. I hope that's the case. It's your fathers, mothers. You're opening the scriptures. You're talking to your children, reading the word, explaining the word, pointing them to Christ, telling of this great salvation that Jesus has brought to sinners. God has blessed us with elders and deacons. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 that giving these gifts to the church, their responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We have ministry to do, ministering to one another, being ambassadors in a sense to the world, to carry the gospel to the world. And indeed, we have been commissioned to go and make disciples, to spread this good news. You ever feel like Moses? Who am I? Who am I? That you could use me. But just remember, who is God? And the promise he has made that he is with you. And so whatever your sphere of influence is, be faithful. Bear witness. Speak for the truth and righteous. Speak winsomely that for the sake of Christ we might win some to him. Because our God is great. And he saves. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Father, we ask you to bless what we have heard, that you would help us to think on these things. Lord, give us, give us inquisitive minds. That with sanctified holiness, we would desire to know more of who you are, even as revealed in, in your names of the Old Testament and the New, that we would desire to understand more of who you are, that we might better understand who we are that we might understand that indeed your promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ and we can have all confidence in them and particularly in our own lives of pursuing holiness, of being sanctified and putting to death the deeds of the flesh that you're able to accomplish that in us. You are working us to that end. And that we would lift up drooping hands and be about our king's business to live for the glory of God before the world today unashamed and confident and bold, for our God is the great I am. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.